Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troy.edu slash lead change. Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. If you're a fan of the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, you may be wondering if the lyrics are about the American chestnut or some other imported chestnut. Well, our guest Donald Davis can answer that in less than 10 minutes. Donald Davis, it is a privilege to have you back with us here at Troy Public Radio. It's great to be back. How did you come to found the Georgia chapter of the American Chestnut Foundation? I had a neighbor in Dalton, Georgia. Uh, her name was Mary Bell Price, and she was one of the uh, benefactors to the American Chestnut Foundation. So I got to know her. I got to know more about the American Chestnut Foundation. We inquired about incorporating as the Georgia chapter, and it happened in record time, largely because of Mary Bell Price's influence. We were able to get started and start finding chestnuts and eventually breeding chestnuts there in North Georgia. Going back to George Washington, in your book, you talk about how he sort of bumbled things. What did he do with the chestnut trees? He certainly grew American chestnuts on his estate there, but he also imported Spanish chestnuts. And as I mentioned in the book, this could have been a catastrophe because individuals who were importing European chestnuts into North America were also importing a deadly disease known as ink disease or Phytophthora. And when we talk about the future of the American chestnut, we also now have to talk not only about the fungus that wiped out 4 billion trees, but also this sort of water mold, this ink disease that George Washington, he was one of literally hundreds of individuals importing European plants into North America. But the Hispanic chestnuts could have had the ink disease, could have spread from Mount Vernon onto adjoining properties. And this would have been after his presidency. On page 180 of your book, as a former resident of North Georgia, you talk about how dependent the residents of that area were on the American chestnut. So how did they use them? They were used almost as a de facto currency in some of the uh, rural areas. In order to buy, let's say, coffee or sugar or flour, you would gather chestnuts in the surrounding mountainsides. You would bring those chestnuts into the corner store and you would literally trade those chestnuts for those provisions. I even found a reference to people trading chestnuts for subscriptions to newspapers. One example of a lawyer who agreed his services could be paid in chestnuts as well. It was used to trade and barter and purchase almost anything you wanted or needed. In North Georgia, there were so many chestnuts, tons and tons of them gathered each year, that one newspaper said that you could literally pay your taxes on your property 
by selling and trading the chestnuts that you gathered. You say that after 1960, no healthy American chestnuts could be found in their original range. We're talking about the United States Eastern Forest. You've been doing some informal surveys across the country. What have you found? We're finding that we're kind of at a crossroads now in terms of the future of the American chestnut. There is one school of thought that says if we do nothing and we just allow the trees to regenerate on their own, that they eventually might be able to repel the blight and produce nuts and once again be part of the North American eastern deciduous forest. In fact, in southern Maine, there's a pretty well-known naturalist by the name of Bern Heinrich, who in 1981 planted a handful of chestnuts. And now on his property, there is over 1,100 relatively healthy chestnuts. They're not large, but they are producing nuts. They are multiplying. This has uh, drawn quite a bit of interest. So there is a possibility that if we just leave chestnuts alone, some can reproduce, some can repel the blight, although it's a very, very rare phenomena. And obviously with global warming and warmer temperatures and drought, it's going to be harder for the trees to survive because the chestnut blight fungus actually thrives in warm climates, moist climates. So let nature take its course. Hopefully the trees will make a comeback. And the other options? There's also the option that is promoted by the American Chestnut Foundation, who for 40 years now has been breeding hybrid trees that have genetic material from Chinese chestnuts. Their program is known as the Backcross Breeding Program. Basically, you take an American chestnut and you breed it with a Chinese chestnut. The offspring are 50-50, meaning half Chinese, half American. You then inoculate those trees with a blight. The ones that survive have some sort of genetic resistance to the blight fungus. You then breed those trees back to American chestnuts. Now you have offspring that are three-fourths American. You inoculate those with the blight. The ones that survive are bred back to American chestnuts, and you keep doing this till you have what we have today, and that's basically a tree that's 97% American chestnut, but does have the Chinese genes in order to be blight resistant. But they are able to survive well into maturity because they have the Chinese gene in them. So far, we have very few trees that reach maturity, and those that do reach maturity, they do get the blight. They have a lot of cankers and swollen limbs and branches and do not look very healthy. The only exception, I would say, would be the trees on the Bern Heinrich property there in southern Maine. These trees aren't very large yet, but they are looking fairly healthy and they do appear to be not getting the blight. And that perhaps has something to do with their isolation as well as the cooler climate there in Maine. Has the U.S. Department of Agriculture weighed in on this? They are just now completing an environmental impact statement looking at the possibility of releasing genetically modified trees into the North American ecosystem. And this would be the very first case of us allowing GE trees into the natural environment to naturally reproduce. The thinking from the USDA is that the genetically modified trees probably are not a risk to the environment, therefore they should be planted. Uh, however, I'm opposed to the genetically modified trees. I've gone on record as saying that it's too soon yet. We don't really know how these genetically modified trees are actually gonna behave. 
some of the studies of those trees have shown that they still get the blight. They're more slow growing than naturally reproducing trees. And they're probably not going to be the tree that will be ultimately responsible for reforesting the North American forest. The song, Chestnuts Roasting on the Open Fire. Are they talking about the American chestnut? The song Chestnuts Roasting Over an Open Fire was copyrighted well after the chestnut blight had decimated some 4 billion trees in North America. So most likely the song references not the American chestnut, but the European chestnuts that were imported during the 40s and and 1950s. could also refer to Chinese chestnuts, so we also began importing Chinese chestnuts at that time as well. But it certainly reflects something that truly happened in North American history. People for three or four centuries roasted chestnuts during the Christmas holidays, the Thanksgiving holidays. So it's definitely something that people did and certainly pays homage to a very real historical fact. Well, Donald, time has flown. And again, I want to thank you for your research into the American chestnut, its past and its future. Well, it's great to be with you again. That was independent scholar Donald Davis, author of the landmark book, The American Chestnut and Environmental History. We want to take a moment to thank you for joining us today and thank you for your support of Troy Public Radio. In Focus is also a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.